Father, as we come to your word once again, we're just so grateful for the way that you speak to us through your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and we thank you that your spirit comes to comfort and guide, to encourage, to bring conviction. And so, Lord, we thank you that your spirit is within us. As we meet today, you are here and you are seeking to speak to us through your word. And so we open our our hearts, our minds to you, praying that you will indeed speak and we will hear and respond. Father, we thank you as we commit ourselves to you afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. These words that are on the screen, they uh, are contained within a song by Point of Grace. I don't know how many of you know the band or group Point of Grace? Not too many. can encourage you to um, listen to Point of Grace. They're a, um, a group of, uh, they, I think they're now three women, but at one stage are four women, and, uh, and do some beautiful harmonies as well, um, modern contemporary artists. But um, in one of their songs, it says, they say, it's not who you know, it's not what you do, it's how you live. Chuck Swindle, he said, life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to it. Life is just 10% of what happens to you. The other 90% is how you react to it. So how you live, how you react, how you respond is what really matters in life. We're not just helpless victims. We're not powerless product of chance or even the product of good fortune. And so as we come to our our passage today, as we read, encourage you to read again Acts chapter 4, encourage you to notice the difference between a religion and a relationship. Notice the difference between Judaism and Christianity. Notice the difference between the Pharisees or the Sadducees and Christians or the followers, the disciples of Christ. Notice these differences as you read Acts chapter 4. Notice that it's not so much about what you do but how you live. And for us today in our world... And with our wealth, some of us pretend that we're not that wealthy, but with our wealth, pretty much today, you can have virtually whatever you want. Within reason, of course, but you can have pretty much whatever you want. But do you want what you have? Do you really want what you already do have? How content are we? And then, how generous are we? Are we living for ourselves? Or are we living to bless others? What is it that drives us, that motivates us? Under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John heal a 40-year-old man who's been disabled from his birth 
And the leaders of the temple, the temple guard, they imprisoned them overnight. Now, they've not threatened anyone, they've not hurt anyone, they've not broken any law, they've not caused a riot, they've not disrupted the peace in any shape or form, yet they are imprisoned overnight and then they're questioned and then they are threatened that they need to stop their their practices and their teaching or there will be consequences, all because of a good deed performed in the name of Jesus. What were the motives that drove the Sadducees? Well, I think they felt threatened that their position and their livelihood was at risk. The status quo was being challenged. They didn't like it. As the spiritual leaders of the nation, they were in control of what happened religiously. And these disciples had not sought their permission. The disciples hadn't come and and said, look, this is what we believe we need to do. Are you okay with that? And so they're concerned to protect their religion, but also to protect their position. But it's not who you know, it's not what you do, it's how you live. And under their watch, Judaism was failing dismally. It was a religion bent on following the rules rather than people expressing their love freely and generously. And so having been threatened, Peter and John returned to their friends, informed them of what's just been going on overnight, that they've been imprisoned and then they've been threatened and demanded that they no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. How would you respond to such treatment? We'd probably spread the word about such unjust treatment and call the media and seek legal advice to sue them. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed first. They prayed first. So often we pray last. We exhaust all other avenues before we turn to God. And that actually reveals a lack of faith in God. When we pursue every other possible direction before we turn to God in prayer, doesn't that show a lack of faith? So often, too, we seek that those who threaten us or cause us pain should be punished in some way. We seek revenge that they pay for what they have done. The disciples, however, leave that in God's hands. They're more concerned about continuing to honour the Lord, to honour God. They're seeking to be faithful, loving servants. And in verse 29, we read... Part of the, the, the prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They don't ask for protection. 
They don't ask for shelter. They don't ask for any form of retaliation. But instead they ask for greater boldness. That the Lord would indeed increase the demonstration of his power and saving grace, thereby increasing their danger. But this is what would exalt Jesus. And so they pray for that. As a result, we read that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. The Lord honoured their prayer and he answered their prayer. Verse 33 says that with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That would have really upset the Sadducees even further. But I believe that this is a prayer that God will continue to honour today, has always honoured and will continue to honour It's often the prayer of the persecuted church around the world. Father, would you give us strength to persevere through suffering and boldness to proclaim the truth of the gospel? Perseverance and boldness. I wonder were Jesus' words, as recorded in Matthew 13, 13, still ringing true in their ears when Jesus said, Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Everyone will hate you because of Jesus. But if you stand firm, you will be saved. Stand firm to the end. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where faith is lived out. It's not who you know, what you do. It's how you live. Are we praying for courage to share our faith? Are we praying for courage to share our faith and to stand firm to the end? Are we praying for boldness? Are we praying for perseverance? Luke then records... A description of the church at this time, and it's the description of the church that Andrew just brought to us. And it's a church that is living out her faith. Verse 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. All the, apostles, all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. I think for far too long, Christians have preferred to remain separate from one another on the basis that we don't believe the same things. We have a different doctrine. We don't 
practice Christianity the same. We do church differently to one another. And Churches of Christ has from its inception sought to bring Christians back together, back to the, what we understand to be the teaching and the practice of the New Testament. That was the position from which Churches of Christ commenced. And so Churches of Christ, we ought to be demonstrating what it means to be one in heart, one in mind, that it's not about what we do, but how we live. About who we are. We are one in heart. Now, if we're one in heart, we should be encouraging one another. We should be forgiving one another, caring for one another, comforting one another, serving one another, praying for one another, providing for and protecting one another that our love for the Lord Jesus transforms who we are and how we live. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? For these believers, they treasured one another more than they treasured their possessions or their wealth. Where's your treasure? Again, are we living for ourselves? Or are we living to bless others? Do we treasure one another? If so, then we ought to be encouraging one another, forgiving one another, caring for one another, comforting, serving, praying, providing, protecting. The culture that we live in, in this self-focused world that permeates our thinking, is always pulling us away from that kind of behaviour, from that kind of living pulling us away from acts of love. It wasn't too much later that Paul, the apostle, appeals to the folk in the church at Philippi. He says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In one mind, one spirit, the way that you live out your lives will be known by everybody. It'll be evident to all. As a result, verse 32, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them. And for, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and the money was distributed to anyone who had need. They didn't sell, all of them didn't sell their own house that they lived in. They continued to meet in their homes, to, to share communion together, to meet together, to pray together. But one in heart and mind, they loved one another and they did everything that they could for one another's well-being. 
did everything they could to bless one another in direct contrast to the existing religious system. So the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those living under Judaism were unfortunately living by the rules and not according to the intent of God's law. You know, the law was given not as a set of rules but as a way of trying to give an example. This is the way God wants us to live, to live with one another and for one another. The law was given as a way of explaining what's meant to come out of the heart. However, Judaism was failing. It was failing the people. It became more important to adhere to the rules than to help one another. And you remember how Jesus was so often ridiculed or, or copped such criticism for his good deeds performed on the Sabbath. Because he wasn't abiding by the rules. Had nothing to do with the intent of the law. The people of the time living under Judaism were not of one heart or mind. They weren't doing all they could for one, for one another's well-being. But now, here's a group of, a growing group of people who are living like the covenant people of God. They were sharing what they had. No one was needy among them. Believing beggars didn't need to beg anymore, did they? Because they were being cared for. Those who had property that they could do without, sold their property, gave the money to be used to be provided for one another. They were content with what they had. And they were generous in their provision. They weren't focused on making money, but rather giving it away. They sought to be good stewards of what God had given to them. And as we think about our, ourselves, our lives, our possessions, do we consider ourselves to be stewards of what God has put into our hands? that we are simply stewards of what God has given to us or do we consider all of our stuff ours? It's mine. I've earned it. I've bought it. Well, it's actually God's that he has given to us on loan. Whatever you have has been given to you on loan because you can't take it with you. We're called to be stewards of whatever God has given to us. Over the years as I've served here, it's been so good to see such a generous heart of this church. Every year we've set a target in which we seek to financially support many who work in mission. And God has allowed us to meet that target year in and year out. We've also met many other needs along the way. When we were building this facility, we actually gave away more funds to mission than previously before because we felt that God does not bless a stingy giver. And at one stage, we also sought ways in which we might be able to reduce the debt when we were building this 
reduce the debt that we would owe. We, we considered leaving off the prayer chapel and building it later. That would have been a considerable saving. But then we reconsidered and agreed that prayer is one of the primary functions of the church. And that we should trust God to provide, and of course he did. God honours the generous giver. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why God has honoured this church. I want you to know that you cannot outgive God. In fact, I'd throw out a challenge. <laughs> Give it a try. You cannot outgive God. He will provide, He has said, I will provide all of your needs. And He does. But we're called to be good stewards of whatever he has placed into our hands. What has God placed into your hands? Are we being good stewards of that? Luke then records these words. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owed and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the first mention of Barnabas. He's a Levite, that is, he was from the family line of Levi and their primary task within the nation of Israel was to be the supporting workers within the temple. They were to do all of the menial tasks within the temple worship system and so they were to serve the needs of the priests who were also, well, they were the descendants of Aaron but were also within the tribe of Levi. Now, we don't know whether he served in the temple, but he may well have served in the temple surrounds. And I can only assume that for Barnabas, he must have been so unfulfilled as he served in the temple until, as a Christian, as a believer, he could live out what was in his heart that he could give generously back to the Lord. For although his name, his real name was Joseph, the disciples saw a constant encourager. And so they called him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And he continues to live his life by that description His name doesn't change back to Joseph. He continues to be known as Barnabas. And the next reference we see of Barnabas the encourager is him actually being sent by the disciples back to Antioch, back to the church in Antioch, to encourage, the very purpose was to encourage the Christians there. The disciples say, you're the encourager, you go back and encourage those in Antioch. And so he does. And he travels with Paul on some of his missionary journeys and then later he takes John Mark with him on a missionary journey. You and I are also meant to be encouragers. Paul appeals to the church in Thessalonica to encourage one another and to build each other up. 
it's so easy to tear one another down. It's so easy to knock one another over, to be discouraging, to be complaining. And we Aussies seem to be good at knocking down the tall poppy. Unfortunately, I think we also take some pride in that. But as Christians, we need to be encouragers. I think the devil's doing a good enough job already without our help. And so I want to encourage you to to listen to what comes out of your mouth and ask yourself, was that encouraging? Some of you might be surprised. Barnabas was a faithful and generous steward of what he was entrusted with, but he was primarily known as an encourager. It's not who you know, it's not what you do, it's how you live. It's how we live. Our character that is coming out, it is the fruit of the spirit that is being portrayed. It is how we live. How we are being transformed by the Lord. How content are we? As we look back through this this passage, through Acts chapter 4, how content are we? How generous are we really? What do we treasure most? Do we treasure people more than things? Are we living for ourselves or are we living to bless others? Are we being faithful stewards with what God has given to us that we have on loan? Are we praying for courage? Are we praying to be bold in our workplace or at school with our neighbours to share our faith? Many challenges the Lord has brought to us and bringing to us today. Let's again come to him in prayer. Father, once again we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are about the work of transformation. And Lord, we acknowledge too that it's, it's so good to, to serve you, to be giving to others, to be generous, to do all we can for the well-being of others. We do have a sense of, of being fulfilled when we're living in this kind of a way. Father, would you help us as our culture tries to claw back that kind of behaviour, back to selfish and and self-centred lifestyle. Help us, Lord, not to submit to the, the ways of our culture, but to submit to you, to continue to allow you to transform us. And Father, we pray that the way that we live our lives will be evident to those around us and that they too will want to know more. Father, would you give us greater boldness to proclaim our faith, to share that with others, to not be afraid, but to realise that in being your servants, 
That's part of taking up our cross. And so, Father, we thank you as we commit ourselves to you and pray again, Lord, that you would continue to have your way in our hearts and this part of your body here at Toowoomba North, that you will be glorified and you will build your church as a result. And so we thank you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.